Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Nikki Stott. I wish to acknowledge that this show has been produced on the lands of the Woiwurrung and Bunurung peoples of the Kulin Nation, that these lands were stolen and that sovereignty was never ceded. I wish to pay my respects to all Elders past and present and to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander listeners. This is what I call the decline of freedom in Indonesia. If we don't talk about it, if we don't speak up, who wants to speak up? You know, I think uh, this is the only way for us to keep the hope alive, to take care of the freedom that we have been uh, fighting for. We need to work together, not only between the government, G2G, government to government cooperation, but also people to people cooperation. I mean, I mean, people in Melbourne, people in Sydney need to learn and to cooperate with people in Jakarta and vice versa. People from Jakarta, from Surabaya, from Banyuwangi, they need to learn what environmentalists have done in Perth, in Darwin, against mining companies in Australia, and also against mining companies in Indonesia, and vice versa. When it comes to human rights, Australia ranks amongst the lowest of the low. But as any West Papuan will tell you, it's also important to be aware of what's going on in our neighbourhood with human rights violations. And Indonesia is also a well-known offender in this regard. Last week, Indonesian environment activist and protest organiser Hiri Budiawan, a.k.a. Budi Pago, from Banyuwangi in East Java, was sentenced to 10 months in prison for displaying a communist logo on a protest banner. The law under which Budiawan was convicted is an old relic from the Sahato era, and Budiawan is the first person to be convicted under this law in Indonesia's post-Sahato democracy. After the fall of President Suharto in May 1998, that particular article was never used until last year uh, against Budiawan in Banyuwangi. Andreas Hasono, researcher at Human Rights Watch Indonesia. That article is a part of 20-something article on treason 
in Bahasa Indonesia, we call it makar, treason against the state. There are a lot of uh, treason article there, uh, for instance, separatism, obviously uh, used very often in West Papua and the Molucas Island, also in Aceh before the peace agreement with the Aceh rebel. And then treason on Marxism, treason on religious issues, treason on using violence. So this particular article used against Budiawan was the one on spreading communism, Marxism, and Leninism. So that's part of a larger body of law that has other components that we've seen being used in West Papua and in other places. Yes, the one that is used against Budiawan carries the maximum penalty of seven years jail term. Meanwhile, the one that I use mostly in Papua, uh, the maximum penalty is life. So this larger body of law has been a cause for concern for quite a while now, and this anti-communism law is just a new element that's been introduced to it. Yes, it is. Recent articles are mostly used in in the eastern part of Indonesia, the part which is closest to Australia, obviously. But regarding other laws used against environmentalists, uh, mostly are using the regular criminal code. Uh, right now, there are around 300 environmentalists being charged under various laws, mostly under the criminal code for disturbing public order or damaging a vehicle in all of these plantation mining uh, companies' areas. So now, more or less, are about 300 activists, villagers, fishermen, environmentalists, grassroots activists, some artists, some singers being charged under these various regulations in Indonesia. Would you describe that as a widespread campaign to criminalize activists in all areas of protest culture? Uh, these activists are very specific. They are mostly activists who protest against land grabbing, basically land grabbing, the grabbing of their uh, their lands or their sea, uh, just like what happened with Budiawan in Banyuwangi. Banyuwangi District is located at the furthest end of East Java where it touches the northwest tip of Bali and it's a popular tourist destination littered with beautiful beaches and islands, verdant farmlands and protected rainforests and mountain ranges. About a two-hour drive from the city to the south of Banyuwangi is Pulau Mera or Red Island, famous for its red soil, colourful shells and gnarly surf beaches. Pulau Mera lies at the foot of Tungpeng Pitu Mountain which means seven hills in Javanese. Tumpeng Pitu is a sacred place for local Hindu people and it was a protected forest area until 2013 when it was designated to be Indonesia's second largest gold mine after Freeport's Grassberg Mine in West Papua, the Tujit Buku Copper and Gold Mine owned by P.T. Merdeka. Banyuwangi locals have been protesting against its development ever since. <laughs> In Banyuwangi, they protested against the mining, the gold mining of an area called 
Tumpang Pitu near Bali. Uh, this is near the Strait of Bali and Banyuwangi. Uh, considered to be sacred and considered to be a water catchment for the area. So in most cases, where these environmentalists are arrested, they are always against palm oil plantation, uh, mining, gold mining, uh, ore mining, bauxite mining, you name them, either in Sumatra or Java or Kalimantan, the Molucas Island, Northern Molucas Island, Papua, uh, Freeport, etc. So land grabbing in the context of indigenous peoples of that area and their um, activities around trying to protect their land, are they being criminalised for protesting their human rights and land rights yeah. in, in those cases? Yes. You know, these, these people are protesting against the company. Sometimes they, they cross the so-called border, that border, the mining or the plantation area. So mostly for trespassing, minor charges, but still it consumes a lot of energy to defend them. We have seen uh, another pushback, another backsliding uh, with the imprisonment and communism charges uh, uh, against or imposed to, to Budipego, an environmental activist. For something very, very weak, it was just about the banner, but there was a kind of image or picture in the banner that looks like uh, a communism symbol and Budipego starts with this kind of uh, very weak evidence and no one, no witness, no hard evidence, including no circumstantial evidence that shows that Budipego is the one who is responsible or who should be responsible for that kind of banner. Amnesty International Indonesia Director Usman Hamid if you look into the indictment, the prosecutors demanded the judge to sentence him with seven years uh, imprisonment. And the prosecutor is part of the government, right? I mean, part of the mm. uh, Jokowi's administration, which shows an increasing conservative opinions or attitudes uh, within uh, the, the most important law authority, uh, the prosecutor, the public prosecutor's office. Uh, the case of Budipego is the first time ever precedence after the fall of Suharto where communism charges has been used to silence uh, activists in Indonesia and particularly on the environmental uh, sector. And I think this is uh, also shows a, a strong connection between those in the political sector and the business sector. For the last five to ten years, there has been an, an increasing concern among environmentalists as well as human rights activists about the democratic backsliding, particularly in the area of freedom of expression, not only in terms of criticisms of cooperation, criticisms of state official, but also now, as we can see in, in the case of Budipego, criticisms of state ideology seems to be part of the taboo expression, even after the fall of Suharto. These situations that you're describing, such as West Papua, Maluka and the others, there seems to be this sort of tripartite of power going on with senior government officials, the military and big business corporations. Would you say that's the case? Yes, uh, just like the case in Banyuwangi. It began actually 10 years ago when the gold deposit in the area was transferred to a bigger company, 
this bigger company has the capital to do that, but there were a lot of protests against the plan to mine the coal in the area. Thus, in 2016, the national government declared that Tumpang Pitu area as a national interest coal mining project. That category make it very difficult for villagers, fishermen, and environmentalists to protest against it because once a project is considered to be a national interest project, like report, for instance, in Papua, to protest or to trespass or to do minor damages of the equipment in the national project areas could be severely charged, could be severely prosecuted. Now, that happened with Budiawan case. He was organizing the protests. Many of them, 20, I think 20-something, were arrested. And he was the one who was finally charged, arrested, detained, and tried and convicted. And using this draconian anti-communism law. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Nikki Stott. Today on the show, we're speaking with Andreas Hasano, a researcher from Human Rights Watch in Indonesia, and Amnesty International Indonesia director Usman Hamid about East Javanese environment activist Harry Budiawan, aka Budi Pago, who was sentenced to 10 months in prison last week for displaying a communist logo on a protest banner. Budia One was convicted under an old Sahata-era anti-communist law. He is the first person to be convicted under this law in post-Sahato Indonesia. Andreas Hasano argues that the anti-communist legislation that was used against Harry Budia One is actually part of a larger body of treason laws that have been harshly applied in places like West Papua and Maluku to the east of Indonesia for quite some time now. And environmental and human rights activists are concerned that the government and mining companies are further upping the ante on the repression of environmental protesters. Do you think this new development makes the situation more dire for environmental activists in Indonesia now? Do you think it increases the threat of uh, these more serious penalties? Absolutely. These activists are basically defending our mother. You know, this is a single earth. We all live together here. Whether they are in Banyuwangi, whether they are in Bali, the Benoa Bay in Bali, or they are in Papua, Freeport Mining, or they are near Lake Toba in northern Sumatra, basically they are defending our lands, our earth, our single earth. In this situation where climate change is a global concern and Indonesia is a major rainforest area in the world, these activists should be protected. These activists should be should be assisted. But what happened in Indonesia is these environmentalists are being charged and the situation against them is being enhanced in terms of hostility. There's a protest in the past considered to be regular because it was just a protest against a mining company. Now it is a protest against national interest company. Thus, the consequences are bigger now. <laughs> 
I particularly relate to what you're saying about the nationalism coming into it as well. There's really some very similar parallels going on in Australia and probably in a lot of countries around the world. I know with Indigenous people in Australia, with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here, they've been protesting land grabs, well, pretty much since the British got here, you know, 230-odd years ago, but certainly since the 60s and 70s um, protesting land grabs here. And there's a lot of environmental issues going on in Australia. And I think that the penalties for protesters here are getting harsher compared to what they were, say, 20 or 30 years ago. These companies are yeah. stepping up their game and the authorities are clamping down on the protest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In Papua, for instance, the Freeport mining area, I think it is quite notorious for violence. I think it is quite notorious for land grabbing. Uh, it displaced thousands, hundreds of thousands of Papuans from the area. And now it is still manned by more than 3,000 security officers under the Freeport and these are active police officers, Indonesian police officers, military officers. In central Java, Mount Kenteng, it is the biggest cards mountain in Java with a lot of water catchment. It is now being changed into a cement factory, cement mining factory. So things are getting worse here. Oh, yes. And there's um, actually uh, another activist that was arrested in regards to that cement factory protest whose case is still pending in the you know and and these when we say activists these are local farmers who are just defending their land like you say oh, yeah. absolutely Joko Prianto that activist in central Java he's a farmer you know? he is just a farmer with a simple life doing his rice farm and other vegetable until the cement factory became a national project uh, he is involved with his sister uh, doing protests, even going to Jakarta, cementing their feet in front of the President Palace. And now he is charged for disturbing that, that factory, cement factory. Absolutely. So we're talking about not just environmental, the threat to the environment, but we're talking about food security here for just ordinary people living their lives. Absolutely. Uh, the, the case in the, the two cases in Banyuwangi and and Mount Kendeng in Central Java, the government used divide and rule strategy. Of course, to the extent that both plans are moving ahead, it's sad. Only in the last five to ten years that this backsliding is, is obvious. Indonesia is not an exception to the global democratic backsliding across the globe. You know. We've mm. seen everywhere, in, even in the state, even in Europe, even uh, in Southeast Asia, the political leaders tend to be more conservative towards the issues of diversity in the state. We've seen the scapegoating of minority, scapegoating of Islam, or scapegoating of Mexican, or scapegoating of migrants. In Indonesia, scapegoating of Chinese minority. In Europe, scapegoating of refugee from, you know, this kind of politics of hate, politics of division is now increased in Indonesia. Absolutely. And I mean, we can look at plenty of examples in history where that's been used. I mean, Nazi Germany, people were going to blame the government. So the government redirects their attention to these minority groups. Yeah, you're right. 
How do you think the ordinary Indonesians on the grassroots level are responding to this huge power structure of government, military and big business? Do you think they're fighting it or accepting it or a bit of both? Uh, it is a big question, of course, and each area has its own strategy. Papua is different from the Molucas Island. Halmahera Island is different from Sulawesi, and Sulawesi, of course, is a big island with, with several provinces, Sumatra, moreover, Java. So these are grassroots movements scattered all over Indonesia. There are some national organizations which are trying to coordinate all these uh, movement. I can mention two. One is AMAN, A-M-A-N, Aliansi Masyarakat Adat Nusantara, or Nusantara Indigenous People Alliance. Okay. Yep. The other one is WALHI, W-A-L-H-I. This is the Indonesian Environment Forum. This is an NGO. Meanwhile, AMAN is... is the umbrella group of various indigenous people groups. So they are trying to coordinate and they are trying to lobby the government. To some degree, they are successful because uh, some of these decades-old land disputes had been, quote-unquote, won by the people. Uh, For instance, around Lake Toba, it is a dispute between the the Batak people, the indigenous people in the area, against uh, pop and paper company. Uh, Finally, the government handed over some part of the land uh, given back to the people from from the company. But it is still tiny to be compared with massive land dispute all over Indonesia, land grabbing all over Indonesia. Freeport is another case. Mm. The government is now trying to negotiate with Freeport, uh, trying to secure 51% of the shares from Freeport. Negotiation is still going on. It is not easy. And then the government uh, promised to hand over a certain percentage, some say 10% of that 51% if they can get the 51% uh, share. This is what I call the decline of freedom in Indonesia. The political situation is very complex, and despite this political complexities, uh, Amnesty International has been up and running. But I myself has been in this human rights activism for almost 20 years, and I've been in different situations, and I've had uh, the worst situation where my former human rights fellow was killed or poisoned to death. My office was raided many times. I myself had been criminalized for fake criminal defamation charges two times. So I had been in this kind of situation, of course. But I think if we don't talk about it, if we don't speak up, who wants to speak up? You know, I think uh, this is the only way for us to keep the hope alive, to keep or to, to take care of the freedom that we have been uh, fighting for. A very simple action that may be doable is to support Amnesty International in Australia. I think they have organized a number of actions in solidarity with Papuan people. And I hope that in the case of Budipego, there will also be uh, solidarity action. What's the situation for Indonesian citizens? They have the right to freedom of speech, theoretically, don't they? Uh, theoretically. Of course, each area is different. The worst is Papua, I guess. 
there are a lot of students when they are do street protests, they got arrested, detained, maybe only a few hours or one night. But still, it is not fun to be questioned in police station. No. Uh, but basically, mm. uh, theoretically, on paper, they are mm. free to, to protest. You know, from government point of view, sometimes these protests are noisy, sometimes they are annoying, sometimes their data is not accurate. Fine, you know, but they, are, they have the right to express their opinion about that. And unfortunately for Harry Budiawan, he is in prison now. But I believe prison will not make activists to surrender. In Bahasa Indonesia, we have two similar words. One is takut or scare, and the other one is taklo. Only one different character. Taklo, T-A-K, T-A-K, L-U-T and takut is T-A-K-U-T. We are afraid. We are scared. But we should not surrender. And I think Gudiawan will not surrender. This week, environment journalist Adam Morton published a contemplative piece in The Guardian. The gist of it was that some of the great campaign victories of environmental activism in Australia, the Franklin Dam, Kakadu or the Daintree, would likely not have been successful if they were running today, primarily because these days activists are far less likely to turn out to environmental protests numbered in the thousands, given the increased risk of serious fines or other criminal penalties. To be honest, I think Morton has a point. It's nothing these days for activists to be fined hundreds or even thousands of dollars for often quite low-key and peaceful protest actions. And recently some have even faced hefty prison sentences, such as the recent cases of anti-coal activist Jonathan Moylan for a harmless media prank and the Pine Gap Peace Pilgrims for the heinous crime of singing and praying. The burgeoning draconianism that underlies contemporary crackdowns on environmental activists is escalating, and Harry Budiawan is yet another wayside victim, it seems, of ideological folly on the neoliberal bandwagon. On the flip side, we're seeing Invasion Day protests in Australia now, with crowds of up to 60,000 challenging the hegemony of nationalist colonial frameworks. And really, I think this can only be a good thing now that we're finally taking things right back to the root cause of all our problems. I'm Nikki Stott, and you've been listening to Earth Matters on the community radio network around Australia. Our guests on the show today were Andreas Hasono, a researcher from Human Rights Watch in Indonesia, hrw.org forward slash Asia forward slash Indonesia, and Amnesty International Indonesia Director Usman Hamid at amnestyindonesia.org. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in bringing you this program today and the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Melbourne and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. That's all for now, but tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories.
We will not negotiate with minor state of title government or anyone on, on our culture, on, on our land. You know, if people say, oh, you're going to finish up with nothing, well then so be it. But at least our hearts will tell us that we did not sell out our country and our culture and heritage for a few scungy dollars. Subscribe to 3CR so that your dollars support Indigenous voices and the struggle for land justice. For Aboriginal people, the greatest grief of all is seeing the country destroyed. And somewhere along the line, we have to realise that we don't actually have the right to do that. That nothing we've ever done has given us the right to do that. Now, you know where I stand on this, because I'm so simple-minded, I think we've just got to admit that this is an Aboriginal country. Just do it. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.